Southern Skies. Online Media. This episode of Blaine Crazy Down Under is brought to you by Oz Runways, Australia's only CASA-approved electronic flight bag for iPad. Get a free 30-day trial today at ozrunways.com. And by Jet Ride Australia. Experience the ultimate thrill-ride in our Soviet-era L-39 jet. The locations in Melbourne, Sydney and Brisbane. You can be top gun for the day. Find out more at jetride.com.au slash pcdu. And by 50 Tales of Flight, the latest ebook by Owens Up, covering everything from biplanes to Boeings. Available on Kindle and iTunes and at owensup.com. Well, good day, folks, and welcome back to Playing Crazy Down Under, episode number 112, a special election 2013 edition. I'm Steve Vischer, and joining me as always is Grant McCarran, who's just finished eating a curry, so this should be interesting. How are you, mate? <laughs> Not too bad, mate. Not too bad. I did have to uh, finish it. In a, it was a curry in a hurry, mate, because uh, we're under a bit of time pressure to get this one out. Yeah, we certainly are. Now, as we mentioned in the last episode, we thought we might do a few of these uh, election quick casts. I've got to say, uh, and Grant, uh, you can back me up here, it's been very difficult to pin any politics down. It seems that uh, not many of them are really uh, willing to talk or uh, waiting until the last possible moment to put anything down in terms of uh, policy, at least when it comes to aviation. Oh, mate, it's been a real interesting time. Our, uh, I've got to say, our cunning plan to wait until all the cards are on the table and nab everyone in the last week when we actually had something concrete to discuss and things like that uh, kind of backfired because this, this election's getting really interesting. Uh, it's all over the place. There's uh, a lot of the polls are saying that the current sitting Labor government will be out and the uh, coalition will be in. And then there's people going, no, 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 the Greens are going to get more. It's getting everyone's running around very, very busy. And uh, yeah, the usual people we've been trying to chat with. Uh, we had a couple opportunities we missed because Steve and I were both working and, and in the middle of our day jobs. Uh, so, you know, we've done what we can. Uh we managed to get a whole one interview, but we've had a uh, written response from another and uh, the coalition have actually published their uh, policies. So that actually came out over a week ago. So it, it's almost like the aviation policy was one of the first ones they published. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the way we're going to structure this is what we might start off by doing is uh, reading out uh, some of the questions that uh, we, we put to all of the uh, various politicians concerned. And uh, we actually got a reasonably detailed response from uh, Deputy Prime Minister and the Minister for Transport, uh, Anthony Albanese. And uh, the interview we've got, uh, believe it or not, Grant, is with uh, Senator Lee Rhiannon from the Greens. So we'll play that in the middle and then we might come back and have a bit of a chat about uh, what we think about the coalition's uh, aviation policy, or at least what they're saying. Now, uh, as uh, was the case with the last lot of uh, political stuff we do, we don't endorse uh, any of these uh, uh, policies. This is just answers to questions that we've put out. Uh, it's not our job here to tell anybody here how to think. It's just to present information. So, Grant, uh, let's kick it off uh, now. We asked uh, about six questions uh, to all these politicians. So well, what I might do is uh, I'll read out the question and, uh, Grant, you can go with the answer that we got from uh, Anthony Albanese. How's that sound? That sounds pretty good to me, and uh, I think everyone knows I'm pretty cynical about everything politics, so I'll be pretty balanced um, on the negative side towards everyone, probably. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> well, they're all politicians, so here we go. 
Okay, so Grant, uh, the first question, uh, Grant wrote all these questions and uh, really good ones too. And the first one was, uh, how important do you consider aviation uh, to be to Australia's economic growth, especially with respect to foreign earnings through training and production of aircraft, that sort of stuff? And if so, how will your policies help aviation to boost economic growth? And uh, we talked a little bit there about, uh, you know, the carbon tax, vet fee help for pilot training, employment legislation changes and all that sort of thing. And Grant, the uh, response from Anthony Albanese was... Last year was another record for aviation in Australia, with more than 86 million passengers flying domestically and internationally. This is a 4.5% increase on 2011. Passenger growth in Australia was more than three times the rate of the United States, which registered a 1.3% increase in passenger numbers in 2012. We're committed to working with the sector to build Australia's aviation industry. Over $120 million in assistance has been provided for students undertaking aviation-related studies. This assistance has provided more than 12,000 places for students to gain the qualifications necessary to build Australia's aviation industry. Federal Labor has announced we're abolishing the carbon tax and moving to an emissions trading scheme next year, which will reduce the cost for the sector further. That's a pretty generic answer. Interestingly, Grandy called it a carbon tax. I think that's the first time they've called it a carbon tax and... Well, not the carbon price, but don't get me started on that. <laughs> no, we won't start you on that one because you've got a sound because you've got a sound bite just waiting to go. I know, but um, <laughs> yeah, got a few actually. But uh, I think an interesting part of this response is the focus straight away on on the first couple of uh, lines of it related to um, domestic international passenger growth. Now that is a factor, but. Uh, as we're finding, as we're looking around the industry, uh, the, the GA, the, the regional aviation, the general aviation, uh, the training and so on, a lot of that has been withering and dying. And that's the engine that grows the pilots you're going to need to help cope with that increase of uh, domestic and international passengers. And it's something I've found with Labor since uh, actually just before the previous election in 2010. They're very focused on the big top end. Uh, to them, aviation is the passengers. It's the international domestic, the uh, smaller regional RPTs, all that kind of stuff. And yeah, general aviation is in there. They don't just flick it aside, but the big focus for them appears to be on the big end of town. And uh, I've got no argument that, uh, yep, uh, passenger numbers are up. And it, they have worked with industry and in terms of doing the assistance and so on. A lot of that, of course, um, going into the uh, engineering side and, uh, and so on, I would imagine. Uh, there's no real breakdown on that. I'd be interested to see how much went as vet fee help for pilots versus uh, apprentices and trainees and so on in the engineering side of things. But, yeah, very interesting about moving to the emissions trading scheme. Steve, are you able to say anything about that one, being a, a follower of carbon tax and emissions? Well, not really, except to say that, uh, you know, the carbon tax at the moment, I think it's up around $26.50 per tonne. I think if they move to the current floating price, which is based on the, the European price, I think that's uh, somewhere way below $10 uh, per tonne uh, at the moment. So I guess, uh, you know, if it were to stay that way, then then theoretically some of the, uh, the costs that flow from that tax into the aviation industry uh, should come off a little. I mean, uh, but then again, if it's a floating price and it does go up in the future, well, I guess, uh, you know, then those costs may return. But, you know, it's it's really, really difficult to say. I don't know how much um, effect that the uh, carbon taxes had on the aviation industry. I'm sure it did put uh, some prices on. I know it affected international prices. I believe that uh, domestic prices, at least for now, were mostly shielded from that in some way. Uh, not quite. I know both uh, Virgin and Qantas have blamed a significant part of their uh, financial hits to the 
bottom line on the fact that the uh, carbon tax was introduced on them and they weren't able to pass that on to increase costs to the passengers due to the competitive nature of the market at the moment. Uh, so prices had to be held down and the carbon tax was introduced so their, pro- their expenses went up and they had to swallow that. So I know that did cause problems for the, for the two big airlines um, within Australia but also don't forget we've had the uh, issues related to the agricultural sector where uh, trucking and freight hauling is uh, exempt from the carbon tax until July next year. Uh, but the uh, fuel used for the agricultural aircraft used to deploy pesticides, herbicides and uh, also fight fires uh, was not. So a significant part of the Australian aviation environment for the agricultural world and the rural environment uh, was not given any uh, discount or any assistance when the carbon tax came in. So uh, we reported on that a while back. Uh, so whether the uh, abolishment of the carbon tax and the uh, trading scheme actually help out there, I guess we'll see if Labor gets in and what happens there. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the uh, the, uh, the opposition is uh, saying that they'll get rid of the carbon tax, but I don't know about that uh, really, Grant, because I'm not sure that they, even if they did win that they control the Senate. And uh, I, yeah. I, I doubt uh, that the Senate would uh, let that through and uh, there's all sorts of speculation about what's going on there. So let's not <laughs> get into that. We'll, we'll uh, tackle that one uh, when it, uh, if and when it happens. So uh, let's go on to question two. Now, Grant, you asked here, do you consider aviation to be important to the development and prosperity of country Australia? And if so, how will your policies help to boost aviation in rural areas? Sort of alluding there, Grant, to uh, route subsidies and rural airport development. And the response from the Deputy Prime Minister was? Absolutely. That's why federal labour has injected more than $261 million worth of assistance into regional and remote aviation, more than five times that spent by the former coalition government in the preceding six years. We are upgrading 47 regional airports in every state, 297 remote airstrips, making them safer and guaranteeing medical services. There is more money and support going into regional aviation than ever before. Growth in total passenger movements at regional airports continues to be higher than at airports in major cities, growing at 4.6% versus 3.5% respectively. In addition, the number of regional airports receiving services increased by 31 airports to 171 last year, the highest in almost a decade. So interesting there. And of course, uh, I think one factor playing into that grant would be the mining boom because there's a lot more flights going in and out of those regions and they're all regional airports. So I think that would be uh, quite a factor in that. It would be interesting to take out uh, some of the growth in the Queensland and uh, Western Australia mining areas and those fly-in, fly-outs, and as you noted, a lot of the regionals. Uh, Western Australia's had a lot of impact from the mining boom, and uh, Air Services Australia have uh, commented a number of times on the impacts that that's had and the uh, density of aviation in WA has gone through the roof. Uh, It's causing blockages at Perth. It's causing... uh, Uh, crowded skies, you might say, in WA. And in fact, they're actually trying to fast track ADSB to uh, help sort that out. So it would be interesting to see how the uh, that growth would have gone without the mining boom. And don't forget, the mining boom is actually uh, tapering off a bit. So, you know, they are doing the upgrading. Uh, They are improving remote strips, which is a great thing. Uh, I think some of that growth would be interesting to try and factor out the mining boom if possible and just see how it's been. But uh, they are, as they point out, they are um, upgrading airports and uh, putting more money into supporting rural uh, aviation. 
Okay, now Grant, uh, the next question you asked here centres around a bit of a pet subject of yours uh, where you're asking, will aviation have its own minister? At the moment, of course, aviation falls under the purview of the Transport Minister, which, uh, as it turns out, is also uh, Anthony Albanese. And uh, Grant, a pretty short response to this one? Uh, Yes, I I asked if they were going to have a dedicated full-time Transport Minister as uh, if aviation and transport in general are important factors in the economic growth of Australia. Does it not make sense to have a dedicated portfolio managed by a single minister? So that was the question, a little bit directed, yes, sorry, my bad, (laughs) but uh, the answer was, I'm not preempting future decisions about portfolios. My focus is on securing another term for the Rudd Labor government. Mm-hmm, there you go. He's treating us like journalists when he answers like that, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> Do we feel good about that or what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I can't see that. Uh, I, you know, as much as it would be nice, I, I really can't see that ever happening, no matter which side uh, gets in. So I think the best we can hope for is, you know, we have we have groups and we've spoken to people uh, such as uh, Susan Lay before from the uh, Liberal Party and, of course, Ed Husick from the Labor Party, who are uh, obviously uh, patrons, if you like, of the Parliamentary Friends of Aviation. Group, so well, we certainly hope that uh, you know as time goes on, the groups such as that uh, survive, and uh, hopefully they get to uh, listen to you know give an outlet or give a give access to people from the industry to uh, really talk to our politicians and lawmakers, and uh, hopefully that can uh, make some inroads and make some positive results for all of us in aviation. Total agreement there, mate. Uh, look, that it was a kind of. Yeah, probably a bit too much of a leading question, especially to the gentleman who isn't the leader of the Labor Party. And if the Labor Party gets in again, then uh, well, he may have some influence, but he won't be the one allocating portfolios and so on. But honestly, I would really expect that the next government has to have a dedicated transport minister, uh, aviation, sea, road freight, rail critical stuff, especially with the size of Australia. Aviation is a major factor in that with the uh, big empty and crossing the great open areas, uh, so-called great divides within Australia. Uh, I think transport is critical and definitely needs its own minister. But of course, that, as Anthony has pointed out uh, in his response, he's indicated he it's not his position to make that decision. But uh, you know, it would have been nice to have had a, I believe that we should have had it and, you know, helping out but no it's a classic answer there and uh yeah that's what he's doing at the moment focusing on trying to get uh, the government re-elected okay so on to the next question now there was a recently a uh, senate committee that came out with a rather scathing report uh, talking about uh, the way the atsb and uh, maybe perhaps to a lesser extent casa conduct themselves when it comes to uh, investigating accidents and incidents and uh, of course this relates to the pelair accident and i'm sure most of uh, at least australian listeners would be aware of uh, what was going on there uh, we don't have a lot of time in this episode to go into that but uh, Grant, uh, we've covered that a little bit on our uh, segments on the Airplane Geeks podcast. So your question, Grant, was uh, will the issues relating to CASA and the ATSB that were raised by the recent Senate inquiry into the Pelair incident be addressed? And uh, you sort of uh, went on talking about that. It's been a couple of months now since that report came out. Grant, we also raised that question with uh, Senator Lee Rhiannon and you'll hear what her response is to that. And uh, Grant, you also asked what priority will this have after the election? And uh, Mr Albanese said... A re-elected Labor government will provide a response to the inquiry once the final findings have been given full consideration. In the meantime, the ATSB has invited the Canadian Transportation Safety Bureau to undertake an independent review of the ATSB investigation methodologies and processes. Mm, interesting. So uh, I guess, uh, you know, it's been two months since that report came out, but, uh, you know, as, as the uh, wheels of government grind along, that's actually really not a lot of time. It'll take uh, quite some time, I think, for a, uh, a really formalised response to come to that, re- regardless of uh, who's, uh, you know, occupying the uh, seat of government. I'm going to disagree on that one. It was two months between the uh, report coming out and government going into caretaker mode and not a freaking peep was heard. Now, 
yeah, there was some very big issues that were raised, but they didn't even say, yes, we're doing this and on the other side we'll look into this. And it was nothing, absolutely nothing, uh, until finally when pushed on it, they came out and said, oh, we're in caretaker mode, but they hadn't been for two months. Uh, I think this comes back to the issue of having a dedicated transportation minister. Two months is a lot of time. Uh, you can allocate some resources and get stuck into this. And really, you know, there's been people who have read the report and considered and, and made their own prognostications and um, and written their own commentaries. And it seems odd that in two months they couldn't get anything out. Uh I know there's a lot going on, but I would have expected something to come out from that. And the ATSB bringing the Canadian TSB in, uh, yeah, as we've uh, said a number of times before, definitely up for that. And I'm looking forward to seeing the results. Uh, I think the ATSB and CASA are some, there's some brilliant people in there. And there's a lot of really good stuff that can be done and is being done. But uh, I think there's always room for improvement everywhere. But uh, we'll see what comes out from that study. That wasn't, I don't believe that was a government instigated invitation. That came out of the ATSB itself. So um, there's been no indication that was um, a nudge from the government. Uh, I don't know. We'll see what comes out of that. I think that is a good thing. Uh, I just really would have liked to have seen a response within two months. <laughs> Fair enough. No problem. Okay, on to question five. Now, Grant, you asked here about Sydney's second airport, and uh, you wanted to know uh, if a decision would be made uh, within the first year of the new government, or will there be more studies and more delays incurred? <laughs> Pretty short answer to this one, mate. I have consistently said Sydney needs a second airport sooner rather than later. Yes. Now, of course, Anthony Albanese might say that, but, uh, of course, uh, he lives and he uh, represents, a, a, you know, an inner city Sydney electorate, doesn't he? So, <laughs> well, look, he's damned um, if he does and damned if he doesn't, really. Yeah, and this is the thing the indications are that he does actually support the Badgeries Creek site in Western Sydney. There seems to be some scuttlebutt going around that because a, a lot of people, myself included, are wondering why it has taken so long. The federal government owns the land at Badgeries Creek, it's there ready to be either sold or deeded or however they want to do it to the developers who build the new airport. The owners of the existing Sydney airport. They have the right of first refusal to be the ones who build the second airport. They're not likely to do it. There'll be other consortiums who'll do it. Everyone's wondering, why is it being stalled? There's been studies about sites to the south that are clearly not good. You've got uh, subterranean mines. You've got valleys, hills, residentials, water sources. That, that southern area just doesn't work out. And yet there's been a couple of studies into it. And it's it's a known way for politicians to delay is to organize another study. And within the first year, it seems like a pretty easy thing to make a decision when for I believe it's been well over 20 years, there have been a number of studies done on it. And in fact, quite some time ago, the uh, work was started on the project. And then the government of the day decided to stop work on the project in order to fast track the project. And then later, the Howard government went, well, no one's doing anything about it. Let's stop it and take the money from it and do something else. So it it really is confusing and it really does ask a lot of questions that don't look nice for the government. It's like, why haven't you acted? Why haven't you done anything about it? Western Sydney needs it. It needs the jobs, the current airport, all the infrastructure around it is having all sorts of problems. I mean, people can take over an hour just to do the last few kilometres into the airport. It's absolutely insane. And it's, as our friend Ben Sandilands has said often, uh, it's strangling Sydney and companies are seriously considering or already doing 
a relocation to Melbourne or, or Brisbane or even Canberra. Mm, my, so, my opinion on this subject, Grant, is that if we're doing this show in 20 years from now, we'll still be at the same position, still talking about the same thing and nothing will have changed. It doesn't I, really seem to matter. I mean, the member for North Sydney is Joe Hockey, the uh, <laughs> potential uh, <laughs> treasurer. He's not going to do anything either. He knows uh, you know, it's political poison for him to uh, make any changes yeah. to the Sydney airport arrangements. And uh, so he's really, uh, in, a, in a way, politically, you know, he, he seems to be in the same position as uh, Anthony Albanese. So yeah, I don't think anything will happen anytime soon. I think it's the Australian version of the USAF's tanker story. Sorry, David. <laughs> there you go. Okay. <laughs> All right, mate. Launder the uh, sixth and final question that you sent off to the uh, Deputy Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, and you asked here what steps will be taken to reduce the impact of residential encroachment on airports, and specifically here talking about uh, Bankstown, Archerfield, and Moorabbin. And of course, uh, we've seen all those airports being uh, slowly, slowly gobbled up by you know little parcels of land here and there being sold off. Uh, houses being increasingly built closer to these airports, and then you've got the the inevitable people moving in, complaining about the aircraft and the noise, etc. And of course, uh, you know, a lot of these airports, or we can speak here from Moorabbin. I mean, that's prime industrial land, right in the huge population centres of Melbourne. So I'm sure that uh, many industries and real estate groups would love to get their hands on that airport if only they could. Oh, mate, well, 40, 50 years ago, it was all market gardens and nothing was out there. That's why they built it there. Hmm. And, of course, encroachment builds, especially the same with Essendon, where the current owners are doing all they can to parcel it up. And the only thing that stops them doing half of what they want to do is the realisation that if they do that, they'll cut back on the runways and they'll miss out on all the biz jets Hmm. with their uh, lucrative people. But, yeah, so we asked that question and here's the answer. It's kind of long, but it's detailed. The federal Labor government has championed the National Airport Safeguarding Framework to guide land use planning reform around Australian airports. The framework will help ensure that in the future both airports and residents of suburbs around airports are safeguarded from inappropriate off-airport development. Airports are important transport, economic and employment hubs, significantly contributing to our social connections and economic productivity. The framework was adopted by the Standing Committee on Transport and Infrastructure, also referred to as SCOTI, And each state and territory government will now apply the framework in a manner appropriate to their own planning rules. The government wants to see more sensible planning decisions are made around airports. That is why we established the Planning Coordination Coordination Forums, PCFs, at each federally leased airport. These forums enable the airport and the federal government agencies to engage the state government and local councils in regard to planning decisions around the airport. Which kind of gives him a bit of a convenient out then because it almost seems to me like he's throwing it at the feet of the state governments and saying, here, it's up to you guys to work it out, but here's our framework just in case you'd like to know. Oh, I'm, I'm sure the guys at Archerfield are really looking forward to that. <laughs> There's a lot of hassles with the um, Archerfield Airport up in Brisbane. It's the, the GA airport training and uh, and so on, very equivalent to Moorabbin here, Bankstown and Sydney, and a lot of development and uh, the plan for the next few years that was approved. Uh, a lot of the residents of the airport are very upset, um, the commercial aviation businesses. And uh, yeah, that's if you do a bit of a search on uh, Archerfield and uh, planning and, and uh, plan and so on and approval, and uh, yeah, you'll find it. Mm. And uh, we've talked about this before. We discuss a lot of these more newsy subjects usually in our weekly segment on the Airplane Geeks podcast, and we've talked about this uh, from time to time. 
uh, very frustrating for GA to see these uh, once huge airports, uh, you know, being slowly encroached upon and and eaten away at. Uh, it's, you know, it's it's a real problem. I mean, at, at Moorabbin Airport, they've effectively lost a runway out of it. Runway zero four two two. Uh, practically unusable. So, well, that's what happens when you build a bunch of factories at the end of uh, one end of the runway when you sell the land off them. Uh, there's, there's too much of this going on, um, you know. So yep. we, we talked about uh, this a lot. So we're not going to go into it too much here because uh, we want to get this episode out quickly. But uh, <laughs> once again, Grant, uh, now these are questions that uh, now we're, not, we're not endorsing any of these answers from Anthony Albanese. We will publish them on our website and in the show notes for this episode so you can see exactly what we asked of him on your behalf and uh, you know, all of these answers that we've read out. And, uh, I want to stress again that this is not about telling anybody how to vote. This is just what we asked and what they said. So, Grant, with that in mind, let's go to uh, the Greens now. Everybody knows what I think of the Greens. Not much, but uh, (laughs) it was uh, very good of them to come on. Senator Larry Annans, a uh, senator for New South Wales. She's also the Greens transport spokesperson, and uh, she was uh, good, good enough to spend some time with us yesterday afternoon. Here's what she had to say about their views on aviation. Lee, welcome to Playing Crazy Down Under. Thank you. I love the name too. <laughs> Thank you. Very Thank much. you. Yeah, we uh, wanted to find something that was uh, distinctively um, Australian and aviation, and it just sort of fit. <laughs> <laughs> now, Lee, um, as the uh, spokesperson for Transport of the Greens, well, for, as you can imagine, we're pretty pro-aviation, and uh, we just wanted to know: uh, Do you consider us, uh, aviation to be in- important to Australia's economic growth? It's certainly important to Australia's economic growth and it's important to the nation as a whole for such a large nation with proportionally a a small population. You can see that uh, in this day and age, air air travel is essential and some of those lines won't be commercially, commercially viable but the Greens certainly think the government of the day has a responsibility to keep them going. And Lee, does, uh, do the Greens have any sort of aviation-specific policies uh, that you're taking to this election? We don't have an aviation-specific policy. We do su- support um, and see the ne- that, that issue that I've just mentioned about regional and rural areas, about retaining uh, airline routes, because uh, I did speak at a conference last year. There was a regional aviation summit in in Canberra in Parliament House, actually. Oh, no, it was in March this year, sorry. And at that time, a number of the people, delegates, approached me about the concerns about different routes being shut down. So I certainly acknowledge the importance of your first part of your question, how aviation for a big island continent like we are, I think has an added importance to the economic growth of this country. But there's also other factors that come into it, considering the big, big geographic spread. Now, the, the classic phrase uh, I've often heard about the Greens is that you've become, in a way, uh, the new third balancing force in, in politics, like the, the Democrats once had the famous phrase of trying to keep the bastards honest. Um do you see uh, how do you see the Greens working post-election to uh, to influence uh, transport policy and and operations within the uh, the Australian government scenario? It will remain a top priority for us because you know, this century, uh, like some people overseas, are calling the 21st century the century of rail because there is such developments there. And generally, you know, I think people more and more with a globalised world are seeing that transport uh, has to be a top priority of any government. And I think it is concerning that often in Australia it's seen as a, a bit of an add-on. But again, there's different um, ways that we can come at this. And I think we do need to have some long-term planning here. And we see this as very relevant to um, 
to the development of the aviation sector. And while we don't have a, a specific aviation initiative, I think some of our um, other initiatives certainly dovetail in here. And for example, we've given a lot of attention and we've had it costed by the Parliamentary Budget Office, uh, and that is to do with vocational and education vocational education and training. Uh, our emphasis is really about keeping the uh, public TAFE system. Uh, that's where we can develop the skills-based um, to provide, to help provide um, training in a whole lot of areas that's essential for the aircraft industry. So I think that that's a, a very important part of how we're working. Okay, for instance, the, the VET fee help for commercial pilot training and things like that. Yes, um, yeah, the, that's something that we um, are very conscious of. I mean, the Green Zone position is actually where we're working for free education. It's worth remembering that under the Whitlam government, TAFE was free then. So at that stage for pilot training, they were able to undertake a lot of that training and they didn't have that cost burden when they um, finish up at the end. And I think that that's something in a wealthy country like Australia, we should still be working to. So everybody has the opportunities to be able to be an airline pilot, to access different jobs, and it doesn't rest on how much money their family um, has or what yep. part of the country they live in. So I think there's um, some real scope to return to those policies. With some of the cost imposts that, uh, that come, obviously aviation is uh, very expensive and uh, obviously it's uh, something that's that's really driven by trying to find new efficiencies in, in, in all sorts of operations and I guess particularly when it comes to things such as fuel use, uh, obviously with the Greens being uh, in favour of renewables and all that sort of thing, uh, do you have much to do with uh, perhaps uh, research into fuel, uh, different types of uh, you know energy technologies when it comes to aviation? Uh, very much so. A big priority for us in this election, and it's certainly something that my colleague Adam Bant in the seat of Melbourne and Christine Milne, the leader of the Australian Greens, have given a great deal of time to, is advocating for an increase in the research budget. So there is more money available for this. And again, specifically also on energy, looking to diversify energy options. Because we have been following that one. It's very, very interesting about um, aircraft fuel. And, uh, you know, Qantas had that um, study. I know it was fairly small. Um, I mean, some people were cynical and said it was a bit of a PR exercise. But, you know, I see that that all helps. And uh, that the, um, the changes that that could bring are very important. So, yeah, it's something that within Parliament that we advocate for. It is an interesting topic because uh, the Greens being seen as, very, of course, very environmentally friendly and so on the uh, the aspect a lot of people look at uh, aviation and the aircraft and uh, target aviation as a as a major cause of um, uh, like greenhouse gas emissions and so on and a lot of people seem to forget the fact that uh, over the last 30 years or so aircraft are moving more people with less gas burn and therefore less um, emissions than ever before they're quieter they're they're burning less fuel to move more people and so on one uh, item that's been raised is the option of uh, like 
carbon tax uh, subsidies for aviation as many other forms of transport have seen. Is that something on the Greens' agenda? Look, we'd certainly, we haven't made a decision on it. We're certainly open to talking to the industry about it and weighing up those pluses. I mean, we obviously are facing this incredible challenge, like it's supposed to be, I think, 20, I'm, I'm speaking to you from Sydney, it's yep. supposed to be 26, you know, it's more like a summer's day. Uh, we've had the hottest um, year on record um, is just about, I think I think it's on record, this one, certainly a very hot one. And it's just a reminder that there's a real urgency there. So we're certainly open to talking about um, how we get the balance right, but clearly there is real responsibility to speed up the reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. One of the sectors that's been uh, obviously openly critical, I guess, of the of the carbon tax in particular, uh, I guess, would be the, the agricultural aviation sector. Has, has anybody from that sector made any representations to your party on that subject? Uh, they haven't to my office. Uh, I have transport. They may have gone direct to one of the offices um, because, like Christine Milne, looks after climate change. Uh, it hasn't come up for me, but again, we'd certainly be very interested, like in Christine has a, a, a real commitment uh, in terms of farming communities and what their needs are and I've also worked in that area when um, there's been issues around mining and the loss of farming land so we'd be very interested in exploring that because these that's those points that we made when we started talking like in a country the size of Australia with our population aviation is part and parcel of the economy how you run the country everything so where you can get efficiencies in place uh, there, there's clearly a real need for it. Now, um, recently we've had uh, the Senate inquiry into uh, the Pell Air accident where um, an aircraft uh, crashed uh, into the water at uh, Lord Howe, uh, sorry, I think it was Norfolk Island, sorry, my mistake. There was a report came out from the inquiry about uh, the way CASA and the ATSB were uh, acting together. Information wasn't passed around, the ATSB's um, examination wasn't quite up to normal standards that was felt. There's been no response from the Labor government on that report and they've had over two months to do it. Uh, Would the Greens be interested in pushing through uh, for some action as per the uh, report from that inquiry? Oh, very much so. The, I think this was a real example of the value of Senate committees, that you um, had the opportunity there to just try and flesh out what, what had gone on. But then you also saw the problem in a very real way that often you get this excellent work done, you bring together the experts, but uh, at the end of the day, the government doesn't actually respond. Look, there's more and more looking like that there could be a change of government. Either way, the Greens are keen to push for this um, to be taken to the next stage because there have been recommendations there. I wasn't actually on the inquiry, so I certainly need to bring myself up the speed of been obviously a bit distracted with the election <laughs> campaign, but I, I remember this one, um, you know, because you know a number of my colleagues in the Senate were active on it. It's a good report that's come out, and it's some, raised some very interesting uh, issues that uh, may may have impact on the international scene with Australia's standing. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a shame that nothing came out. It'd be good if uh, the Greens are able to help uh, push through and get whichever government's in afterwards um, to help help bring that one forward because it's very much like the second airport at Sydney. Are you able to um, give your comments on the, the second airport at Sydney? Yes, we do have a specific policy on that one. And our position is that the, the airport should actually be relocated outside the Sydney Airshed Basin. And we 
say that for environmental and social reasons. People often sort of raise their eyebrows when you say that, but it's not uncommon. It was just recently the Lord Mayor of London has raised that Heathrow should be moved, um, Hong Kong, Oslo, um, have I think Athens as well have been moved, and we say that because it's you know the, not just because of the congestion problems, because of the chance of accidents, uh, the pollution, etc. So it's something that we've worked on for a long time, and we might part company on that one, but I do think <laughs> it's worth considering. It's an interesting, interesting approach to it. Uh, where would it go? Is the big question that immediately comes to mind. I mean, Boris in uh, London, he's actually putting it on uh, the. Uh, put forward that they should make a man-made island in the middle of the Thames. Uh, <laughs> could you do something like that? There's There's been some talk of uh, just south of the airport um, in Botany Bay, uh, building it and uh, reclaim the island that's just south of the airport and reclaiming more land. Uh, would that be a consideration? Uh, no. For the Greens, our position is outside the Sydney Airshed Basin and the airshed, you think of it like a watershed. So the airshed is actually defined by the EPA and we do that because of air pollution reasons. So we have um, looked at it in terms of environmental and social issues. And then people understandably say, well, where should that be? Uh, and we've got a set of criteria to help um, determine where that should be. And I think a responsible government would then get the experts together to determine where that is. And there does need to be commun- um, consultation locally. Uh, there needs to be, it needs to be um, you know, high-speed rail connection so when people land somewhere, they can access the cities quickly. So w- uh, we have worked on that one in quite uh, considerable detail. Uh, and as I say, you know, I'm aware that people just keep on talking about a second airport. <laughs> but I was pleased the way you phrased your question because you were effectively acknowledging that, you know, every time you have an election, Labor and the Coalition pull out of their back pocket, talk of another inquiry, let's have another report. It's gone yeah. on for so long where they just sort of um, batted backwards and forwards. And... Uh, I, it's, a lot of it's got to do with managing issues in local electorates because of anger about aircraft noise. So then politicians like Federal Transport Minister and Anthony Albanese come up with something for his local constituents. Oh, well, a second airport. So it sounds like you take, you know, there'll be fewer planes. But when you look into the detail, that's not how it would work out. Yeah, and you've also got the whole thing of every time there's a change of who's in power, the uh, approach and departure paths out of Sydney have to change to uh, make sure that their electorates are kept quiet. <laughs> it's, it gets really complex. Yeah, yeah, no, it's re- it's really a wrong, wrong way to proceed. And uh, yeah, when you consider the 15, tw- probably 20 years, this has been bounced around. By now, if they had done it responsibly, and I think you could have a bipartisan approach on this, yep. uh, that you, you work out the process uh, in terms of the consultation, what your parameters are, where it should be, that you could work through it. But it's just been used as a political football rather than being serious about it. That much is certain. Now, um, we're, I'm very conscious of uh, your time, so we've got one last question on the list that we sent through. Uh, so the last point was... Uh, now we've, we're aware of uh, a number of airports, but the particular big three that come to mind are Archerfield, Bankstown, Moorabbin. 
when they were built, um, especially in the case of Moorabbin Airport, it was market gardens all around the area. It was put as far from Melbourne as possible at the time to be convenient but still far away from everyone. But, of course, Melbourne's grown, uh, as has Brisbane and uh, Sydney, and now we've got the situation where these airports are surrounded by a lot of uh, houses. Uh, they're being used not just for commercial development but uh, residential, of course, close to an airport, like being close to Sydney Airport. It's kind of cheap because it's noisy and so on. Uh, how do you feel? It, it raises a lot of issues because you've got people who move into the area and then complain about the noise and a number of us who fly in the area are like, well, hang on, you know, this airport's been here for a lot longer than you. It's a very, it seems to be a very delicate balance. Uh, what's the Greens' approach on that? Well, look, I think you're raising a really important issue that goes to the heart of planning in this state and we saw it really corrupted under the former Labor state government and the Barry O'Farrell is going... Um, down a path of really weakening the planning laws because you do need these airports and I think that it's really wrong when they then allow houses to be built so closely that we know there's going to be some level of noise needs to be managed but the weak planning laws allows the developers to uh, use that land and make a profit out of it even when it's very close to airports and that's where I mean, in some of these cases, it's now very hard because that's been allowed. Mm. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's where, where we need to get things right and for it to be fair and balanced. And around a lot of those smaller airports, I don't think that that, build, that, that level of building should have been allowed. Yeah, it has caused some problems and there is a, a, a movement running around, uh, I think it's, I've heard about it in the States, where they uh, are trying to get uh, landholder titles and rental agreements with clauses in them that say you are under a flight path, you are near an airport, you agree that you're not going to be able to raise issues. Right, um, quite, right. quite the same way. So, uh, yeah. okay, well, Lee, we've uh, pretty much run out of the time that we said we would take from you. So thank you very much for coming on. Was there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, look, I just to say thanks because... Often I find people make assumptions about greens and they, they put it in a box and they think, oh, well, you only care about the environment, so you really won't want people to travel by planes. That's absolutely not the case. Uh, we see it as a very vital part of Australia's development uh, and like so much by working through the challenges, you can get the balance right, I always believe, in terms of meeting people's needs, protecting the environment and also ensuring that our economy is able to benefit. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Lee. Very much appreciate that you've uh, come on the show. Senator Lee Rhiannon, uh, good luck for the election on Saturday. Thank you. All the best. Plan your flight, fly your plan with Oz Runways. Oz Runways turns any iPad or iPhone into a full featured moving map GPS complete with all the official Australian aviation charts. Oz Runways makes the task of creating and submitting a flight plan a breeze and can be a great tool for improving situational awareness en route. Annual subscriptions start at only $74.99, so get your copy today. For your free one-month trial, search for Oz Runways EFB in the iTunes store or visit ozrunways.com. Oz Runways. Know where you're going. Want something different to talk about on Monday? Get yourself a Jet Ride gift pack and tear through the skies at 900 Ks with Australia's ultimate jet fighter experience. Be top gun for the day. Go to jetride.com.au slash PCDU or in Australia call 1300 554 876. G'day, this is Owens Up. Just a quick note to let you know that my new ebook, 50 Tales of Flight, is now out on Amazon and iTunes. Find 50 Tales and my latest updates at owensup.com. In the meantime, sit back, relax, enjoy the show with Grant and Steve.
And welcome back, folks. And uh, thanks once again to uh, Senator Larry Annan for uh, spending about 20 minutes of her time yesterday to, uh, you know, take us through uh, some of her thoughts and, uh, you know, the Greens' thoughts in general on uh, what they think of aviation. Interesting there to, to uh, hear her comments at the end there, Grant, where uh, she had the uh, the idea that uh, most people would think that probably the Greens were against aviation. She's asserting there that they're not. So Yeah, they, they do see the, the need for it. Uh, they do have a lot of balancing to do given their ecological background and so on. And, yeah, that is going to make life tricky for them. Uh, but an interesting chat and a couple of points. <laughs> the one, as she correctly noted, about uh, moving Sydney Airport out of the Sydney Basin and using fast rail to connect it. Yeah, that's going to be really tricky because you've got a lot of very, very rocky hills and, um, well, they call them mountains in the area. Uh, and you've got a lot of valleys and uh, it's almost like fjords at points around, <laughs> around the area. And you've got to try and punch a fast train through there and also through existing Sydney's urban sprawl, which is, is huge. And it's what, you can't really run it down existing lines. You, it's, there's a lot of a lot of challenges. And if they put it underground, oh, that's huge and very expensive. And I, I'm, I, I honestly just can't see that happening, uh, that they'd move it out. Uh, I can see where they're coming from, from the purity of the air and the cleanliness and the ecological approach. But the reality is, I, I think if people are going to start looking at that, then a lot of them may say, stuff it and just go to Brisbane, Melbourne, Canberra. You know? <laughs> so I'm concerned about that one. And uh, she was talking about how back in the Whitlam day, there was the, the training. It wasn't so much for pilots. It was more, I think, for the the apprentices and trainees and so on in the engineering world. Is that your thoughts, Steve? Yeah, I think it was university education now, of course. So I was only a toddler back in the Whitlam years, so I can't really <laughs> talk about it. But I'd be surprised if there was uh, anything similar to vet fee help or anything or free education when it comes to uh, training of pilots. Uh, now, there are programs at the moment. Swinburne University down here in Melbourne, for example, does that. But of course, it's a full fee paying course. So uh, whether they can work that off on HEX and all this sort of stuff, uh, I well, guess that's... that's the way that they do it. But um, yeah, well, maybe, you know, I can only take it. I, I, when she talks about free education, we know the green are in favour of that and uh, that's all wonderful but uh, yeah, I, I don't know in the, these days unfortunately whether that would ever happen again. Well it's a, it's like what we think of user fees. User fees are killing aviation. Well they're also sort of killing education as well and that is one thing with the vet fee help and uh, the guys at TVSA and a number of other uh, aviation training environments have gone through the hard yards. There's a lot of hard work to get the uh, what's called vet fee help where a large chunk of the cost of getting your commercial fixed-wing pilot license or helicopter, etc., can be offset. And Steve referred to HEX. That was a higher education contribution scheme. Uh, vet fee help is a similar kind of thing, but different. Now it's modern, uh, the, the new version. But the whole core concept is that you defer paying your costs until you graduate, like a student loan, but different. But the you'd only start repaying once you earn over a certain threshold level. So if you come out with this uh, with this experience and, uh, and a qualification, i.e. a commercial fixed-wing pilot, and the market's down and you're earning almost nothing, then you don't have to start paying it back yet. It's only when you actually start earning some real money that you do. Um, I'm not sure what the interest rates are like on it and whether they keep accruing while waiting, but it's just an interesting uh, way of helping people get through to cover the 
the high costs of learning to fly. And once again, we'll put a uh, link to uh, Senator Rhiannon's website in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to go and take a look at uh, anything that she's got to say about aviation. And uh, we would thank her once again for spending some time with us. Now, Grant, uh, we also did uh, approach the uh, Federal Coalition, and of course, Warren Truss is the person there that uh, would be uh, taking care of that for us, uh, unfortunately. Now, of course, we have had uh, Warren Truss on the show a few times before in the in years past. Uh, unfortunately, he was uh, not uh, able to find some time to join us on the show, which is disappointing, uh, but uh, obviously it's a very, very busy time. And I find, Grant, that uh, the Coalition uh, are playing a bit of a small target policy. They're not, you know, they're not really bringing out a lot of detailed policies, uh, and I guess that suits their political agenda at the moment, for better or for worse. Uh, so we'll go to their website here, Grant, and uh, we'll just talk about uh, what they've said here. Now, this is just reading straight off their website, Grant. Uh, it says that they'll uh, the Coalition, if they're in elected, I guess, will invest uh, an additional $3.5 million to support regional aviation by introducing a new and better targeted uh, en-route rebate scheme for regional and commercial airline carriers to support low volume and new routes to small and remote communities. Now, we know, Grant, that that's been a bit of a a bugbear for the regional aviation uh, sector, so maybe that might be some good news for them. Who knows? Yeah. Look, if they can bring in the subsidised routes once again, it will help get people out into the regional areas, help regrow the regionals. Uh, The there's a lot of uh, centres of population out in the regions, the rural areas of Australia, that are just withering as people head towards the cities and uh, a lot of farmers are packing it in, uh, either selling out to big conglomerates or just walking off the land and leaving it. If you can subsidise transport to make it a little more cost effective to get to these regional areas, it may help uh, spread more people out into those areas where they need people, uh, whether you're going for the landed gentry retiring or you just want to have a different pace of life. Uh, you, know, you still want to have your internet, you still want to have your uh, ability to get to the uh, capital centres. So there is a, a need for it. By the same token, you've got to be very careful because it's possible, uh, we've seen it in the US, where you can wind up with a subsidy that they're practically flying an empty aircraft. And that just doesn't make much sense at all either. Now, Grant, they're also saying here that they want to establish a, uh, and I'm just reading again off the website here, a high-level external review of aviation safety and regulation in Australia uh, and to provide a root and branch assessment of current policies to provide a long-term framework for the future of aviation regulation in Australia. So, well, great, Grant, another review. Well, I don't know if it's going to be a review of what came out of the Senate inquiry or where it's going to be. Uh, From their webpage, it does link to a PDF document which has uh, uh, more information about it. Uh, they're wanting to reform the structure of CASA, uh, update the strategic direction and so on, and uh, improve the performance of the existing industry complaints commissioner. And uh, they're just generally wanting to uh, process a lot of those areas. There's a lot more detail in the uh, PDF than we have time to get into. Uh, but yeah, you're right. It's establish an external review. Uh, hmm. Well, we've sort of got one of those going on with, as we mentioned before, the Canadians and, uh, as we also mentioned before, the Senate inquiry. So, nah, there's nothing quite like a review, is there, mate? No, no, no. Well, you know, it keeps uh, public servants in a job. Now, Grant, uh, some of the other things that uh, which they've, uh, they're talking about here on their website, uh, they're talking about uh, tasking Air Services Australia with uh, fast-tracking technological and navigational improvements at airports and pursuing methods to decrease air car- aircraft noise for communities. Uh, Grant, they're also talking here about... Uh, 
If I go down the list here, revitalising the general aviation action agenda and establish a regular dialogue with the general aviation sector to address industry issues. Now, this is very important and I would like to see any any side of uh, politics uh, yes. engage more actively with the general aviation sector because, as you mentioned before, mate, uh, it's really under the pump and it's shrinking. Yeah, and this is, this is the first policy I've seen come out from any of the parties that actually acknowledges getting in touch with GA and getting a whole lot of the uh, representatives of the various parties on board. Uh, they haven't gone into a lot of detail of how that would be, but uh, you know they, they, they want to actually acknowledge GA is important and uh, get things happening and reform it. So and with their uh, addressing of CASA, um, up revising the way CASA operates, I mean, I would obviously love to, to see uh, CASA modified to actually have a serious promotion of uh, GA. They, they, a lot of the folks in CASA say it's already there, mm, sort of, but it ain't doing it. Um, it's not set as one of their major goals. It's more clamping down and, you know, safe skies or empty skies as the joke goes. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they, I, I will give uh, some kudos to the coalition for actually at least mentioning general aviation and acknowledging uh, that reform is required. Okay, now more broadly, they're going down their website here. Uh, there's quite a few dot points here, and we'll put a link in the show notes to uh, this page as well. Uh, they're talking here about uh, you know a- uh, enhancing aviation skills and uh, developing a study into skill shortages in the broader aviation industry. Uh, that would be quite welcome, I think. And, uh, Grant, they're also saying that uh, they're going to look at uh, aviation security measures and make sure that they're risk-based and implemented in a practical and common-sense way. I would prefer if they just said, we would like to end security theatre <laughs> but I can't see that happening anyway. I don't think they'll be allowed to say that much and all as we're hanging for somebody to say <laughs> that. But, uh, look, this is uh, the first time I'm aware of a political group saying risk-based security measures, which most of us have been begging for for ages. Um, of course, that said, we'll probably wind up getting risk-based done in a bureaucratic way, uh, which may make it worse. But, you know, careful what you want, you may get it, as the joke goes. But, uh, you know, again... I can't believe I'm saying this, but hats off to the coalition for um, putting in risk-based security measures. But they're not actually doing it. They're saying they uh, will ensure that it has it. There's a big difference between this is what we want to do and this is what we actually do. But I think it's rather interesting that uh, the Regional Aviation Association of Australia, the folks who actually fly out to all those airports in the rural areas that we were talking about, have actually done a media release saying that they welcome the release of the coalition's aviation policies, consider them to be a good start, which I quite like that phrase, and that's true, and show that the coalition has at least been listening to industry concerns, concerns that have been shared with the shadow minister over a number of years. And uh, you know, they, they support the high-level review of the government aviation agencies and uh, the return of the subsidy scheme, of course. Funny that they would uh, support that. And just generally noting that uh, aviation is pretty critical to Australia's growth and survival. As per this uh, release from Paul Turrell and the RAAA, they're actually supporting the coalition's policy. Now, that doesn't mean they're saying go and vote for the coalition. They're just saying, hey, this is a policy we can get behind. So if any other party wanted to implement the same things, they'd probably be behind them too. Yeah, so there you go. So I think in summary, Grant, I think uh, most of the responses here we've got uh, seem to me to centre around, um, you know, the, the bigger end of town, the the heavy iron, if you like, airlines and uh, big airports. I would like to have seen uh, all of the parties engage or at least commit to engage more heavily, despite just what the Liberals have said there uh, on their website. I'd like to see more focus on general aviation, and I think most listeners to this program would, uh, would be on mm-hmm. board with that. Uh, 
uh, obviously uh, general aviation is where it all starts for most of us. I mean, most of us don't have the uh, the you know the good fortune to uh, go through the military training scheme, for example, and then uh, come out and uh, enter into the airline world. Uh, most of us here in this country have to go through the civilian uh, training scheme, and uh, that's very expensive. And uh, you know, the more the more costs that are put onto that industry, the uh, more difficult it makes uh, the average guy off the street to go uh, you know and learn to fly. It's, uh, and, and we've seen that over recent years. Uh, and I've said many times before uh, that uh, if it weren't for so many of these overseas airlines uh, using our training facilities here, uh, then I think a lot more of these uh, flight schools would uh, not be ex- in existence these days. And uh, if, if you know any of those airlines uh, decide to pull out and go to other countries or you know start training back in their own countries, I think we're going to see a very big uh, problem here for the training sector in general aviation. And we can't let that happen. We need to be looking at that uh, regardless of who's in government and uh, making sure that uh, they've got some plans to uh, make sure that it doesn't happen or if it does, how we can mitigate the damage. Yeah, well, uh, I think you're right there. there. There are a lot of the training groups that are very heavily dependent on the external overseas groups. However, with our session up at the Aviation Careers Expo recently up in Brisbane, I was quite pleasantly surprised to hear that uh, for one or two of the groups there, they were saying that uh, they're starting to see a swing back to more local pilots coming through rather than uh, the internationals. And a big chunk of that has been the vet fee help and some of the work that uh, these training groups are doing, getting uh, into partnership with local high schools and uh, universities. And it's good to hear that there is a a glimmer of hope. Uh, But I think you're right. If if that hope isn't fueled, nurtured and growing more, we'll be in trouble, especially if those uh, internationals pull out. Absolutely. So once again, folks, uh, I just want to stress once again that uh, we're not uh, telling you how to vote. And uh, of course, uh, you know, the entire PCDU crew, and not just me and Grant, but everyone that works here, has a range of uh, views on politics <laughs> from one end of the scale to the other. I can assure you of that. Uh, the only thing I would say, uh, despite uh, what, however the polls are looking, is that uh, when you uh, head off to the polling booths, I would encourage all of you to uh, just look beyond the uh, 24-hour media cycle and look beyond the spin and the personality politics. Uh, you know, study policies and and uh, have a look at all the uh, political parties and uh, make a decision that way based on what you read. See what works for you and vote accordingly. Yep. I think that's pretty good advice, mate. Mate, uh, look, I'd, I'd really like to say thanks to all the politicians who've worked with us and really uh, they've all tried to make time for us, but it's. I, I think maybe we should have tried for the second last week, but then we wouldn't have had, uh, like this policy from the uh, coalition was only released on the 30th. It was once we had that that we knew there was something concrete for everyone. Uh, the cards were on the table from the coalition. Everyone else could talk to it or promote their own. But unfortunately, especially in this election, everyone's just been absolutely hectic. Uh, we tried a number of times working with uh, Anthony Albanese's team. And unfortunately, his schedule and ours didn't align. But he was very gracious in uh, giving a written response. We very much appreciate that. And yeah, I've been working pretty closely with one of Warren Truss's media liaison people. We've been looking at all sorts of options and unfortunately his schedule and ours just didn't align. There was was a chance we could have grabbed him earlier today, but unfortunately both Steve and I weren't available. Uh, we were out running around with our respective day jobs and it just couldn't happen. So it's not for want of trying. There's been a, a lot of SMSs, emails, and a few phone calls going on over the last week and a bit uh, as we've tried to coordinate this at the last minute. So lesson learned, that didn't quite work out. 
Uh, major thanks to Lee Rhiannon. We did manage to align with her schedule. And uh, we also tried with uh, Senator Nick Xenophon. Uh, we've had him on the show before. He's an independent senator in South Australia. And uh, if you're in the SA and you're going to vote for the Senate, have a look at what Nick's doing. He's been uh, quite instrumental in the pilot training uh, Senate inquiry, which occurred just after the 2010 federal election, and also the uh, recent inquiry into CASA and ATSB and the handling of the Pelair Westwind that uh, had to crash into the water just near Norfolk Island. So there's lots of options. Unfortunately, Nick's been pretty busy with a lot of things as well, not for want of trying. And uh, again, his schedule and ours just didn't work out. So uh, I, we hope you've enjoyed this. Uh, Steve, I think we've uh, got a reasonable coverage of the big three groups. Yeah, I'm pretty happy with that. Now, uh, you know, of course, the good thing is that once the election's over, Grant, we can go back to having more fun with aviation and not concentrating on politics at all. I dream. <laughs> uh, we'll be keeping an eye on everything. We'll see who comes in and what we can do uh, working with them a little closer uh, to get information and so on. And especially our friends in politics who are part of the uh, Friends of Aviation group. We really want to promote what they're doing and uh, help promote their existence to other members of their own parties uh, just to try and get them as a sounding board for when uh, transportation and aviation issues come up. Absolutely. So that's everything we have for you on this uh, rather different episode of Playing Crazy Down Under. Thank goodness there's only an election once every uh, three years, Grant. That's all I can say. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back with episode 113 in a couple of weeks. Back to some normal programming and lots more fun with aviation. But until then, I'm Steve Fisher. And I'm Grant McCarran. Cheers, folks. You've been listening to Playing Crazy Down Under, hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. You can find us on Twitter as PCDU, and for more information about the team, feedback, storylines you'd like us to follow, or any advertising inquiries, go to our website, playingcrazydownunder.com. Playing Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies online media production. Kind folks at the Department of the Bleeding Obvious have asked us to make this statement. The views and opinions we present in this podcast are ours and do not necessarily represent those of groups we work with or are associated with, although we think they probably should. We certainly don't claim to be experts, we're just opinionated enthusiasts who are willing to comment publicly on the world around us. This show is intended as entertainment and any education that may occur is purely coincidental. As with anything in life, it is your responsibility to determine what does or does not work in your situation and to seek out suitable guidance and or instruction. This podcast is released under Creative Commons non-commercial by attribution license. For more details on this license and our contact details, please visit our website at www.playingcrazydownunder.com. Thanks, folks.